Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. And uh, it's Memorial Day. And it's a, a day that the government has set aside to remember those who have given their life and those who have served our country and for those who have given us the freedom uh, that we so enjoy. I praise God that he actually gave us uh, a land which in freedom to worship. And so I'm asking all of you that have served in the military, if you would just please rise. If you served in any of the armed forces, just please rise. All right, we give you thanks. Also, we have Memorial Day every communion. We stop and remember someone who died for us and gave us eternal life. Not just life in one nation for a few years, but life forever. And we thank God for that. And we every time we have communion, uh, we then take a couple elements. We don't show a flag. There's no flag. But we do have a piece of bread, which that bread represents the body that Jesus Christ gave for us. He was made man in order that he might die as a man, live as a man, and uh, give his life for us. And we take the cup, and the cup represents the sacrifice, the blood that was shed on the cross for our sins. And we remember the great sacrifice he made for us and uh, continue to do that when we have uh, what we call communion. So uh, we have Memorial Day here once a month. Also, we want to always remember the people that God used over the years, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Elijah, and all the men that God used in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, Paul and all the apostles. And then the last 2,000 years, many great saints have risen to defend the faith, to hold to the faith, and we look forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, now for our lesson this morning, let's go to the book of Colossians. And we're continuing our study, and we find ourselves this morning in uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5. We've already covered the first four verses. One was a couple verses explaining the author of the book, who was the Apostle Paul, his associates who traveled with him, and also Timothy, who was one of his uh, prime and uh, disciple of Paul himself. The key word in the first eight verses, which is really the introduction to the book, the, first, the key word is the word thanks. In the Greek, it's one sentence. That's a long sentence when you read Galatians 1.1 1, 1 through 1.8. It's a long sentence. But it's one sentence, and the key verb is thanks. Everything flows out of that word thanks. And he's already said that I give thanks and I pray for you. When he thinks about them, he gives thanks and he, then he prays for them and thanks the Lord for them as they have walked with you. Important that is to pray and give thanks for the believers that are here at 
Countryside Bible Church and all over the world. It's interesting today that there are believers in Africa, Brazil, Asia, uh, even in the Ukraine, believe it or not, and Canada and all of the places of the world, in China, and even in the Arab countries, there are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Important for us to remember that, that we're not alone here. And a lot of these believers are giving their very lives or risking their very lives to be a part of the church. So we pray and thank God for them. So he continues to give thanks, and now in verse 5, he gives thanks for their position. He says, I give thanks because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. He gives them thanks because there is a hope laid up for them in heaven. Now this hope in English is, can be two ways. In the Greek, in this case, it's only one way. But in English, we have a subjective hope. You might say this morning, I hope it rains today. Now in light of the way things are going, that may not be a sure hope. That expresses a desire on your part, and my part as well, but that is not a sure hope. But in this case, the hope is real. It's a position. It's not some fake. It's not some fake narrative. It is real. So he's talking about this hope. He says, we give thanks because of the hope that you have. He thanked them for their faith. He thanked them for the reception of the gospel. Now in verse 5, he thanks them for that hope. Now the Bible talks about hope in various places. In fact, in Colossians, it appears a couple times. Look at verse 22 of the chapter 1 of Colossians. He, he says, or verse 23, Colossians 1:23. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, was made a minister. So it appears in that book. Look at verse 28 of the same chapter. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope, really, that of glory. So that is a steadfast, sure hope. If you've got enough courage, you can turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 4, where he talks about it again and talks about that sure, steadfast hope. We read, for whatever was written in early times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That's a sure hope. It's not an iffy hope. That's sure 100%. And what is that hope? That hope is, as he lays out here, is laid up for you in heaven. Laid up is a present passage. It's being worked on right now. God is laying up that hope that you and I have, that sure hope. 
It's being laid, and here it is prefixed with a preposition pro. So he reads it, you have this hope laid up for you. And in the Greek, it's previously laid up for you. It's previously going on. This is a sure hope of a literal place in heaven, which Jesus has prepared for us. We read from John 14 this morning, but uh, why don't we turn back to it, to John 14, verses 1 through 3. John 1 through 3. <clears throat> heaven is a real place. Heaven is not some pie in the sky. Heaven is not some mystical, foggy place. It's real. In, math, in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, we read, Do not let your heart be troubled. Literally, in the original it is, Stop letting your heart be troubled. So what troubles you this morning? What's your big concern this morning? Whether it's going to rain, what it's going to do this, what about stock market? Thank God we're saved. Now we have a budget thing. We're going to get our Social Security. So what is your big concern? Whatever it is, stop it. Okay? Let it go. Let God take care of the future. You do the work he's called you to do and quit worrying. And quit fretting. And stop it. That's what he's telling you. In fact, it is, uh, that's a, what it means, a present, a present uh, imperative. Stop doing what you're doing. Because they were all concerned that Jesus was leaving. And where is he going? So he says, stop worrying about it. Stop letting your heart be troubled. Simple enough, right? You may have to go through it a couple rounds to really get it. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Let me take care of the future. Let me take care of it. Trust God for tomorrow. Take care of today. Trust God for tomorrow. As we've said many times. You've got all the grace you need for today. But you don't have all the grace for tomorrow. So when you put tomorrow's things on today, you overload the circuit. Trust him. Okay, tomorrow, I've got a list of things I've got to do. I'll trust God to get them done. Can we do that? By faith, we can. We can just trust in him. Now, here's what he says. In my father's house are many dwelling places. True or false? This is a literal place. I just read a book uh, by Michael Vlock. Now, I call Michael Vlock because Michael Vlock is a Nebraskan. He grew up in Omaha. He graduated from the University of Nebraska. He went to Master Seminary. He came back and he was part of the Indian Hills Church. 
And when the early days or the earlier days than my days, when you were looking for a pastor or you had to fill in a blank on a Sunday morning, Michael Locke came here to preach. So some of you older timers know Michael. Michael has since got on and got his doctor's degree. And uh, he is now teaching in Shepherd Seminary in North Carolina. And he's written a number of books. And one of the books that uh, he just read or wrote is Creation to Creation. And in this book, it's about book about yay thick. And he talks about this whole thing of heaven. And how that most people have some misty-eyed, mysterious thing about heaven. And so far that some of us think that we're going to sit on the edge of a nice stream, feed in the water, and play a ukulele. In fact, somebody said and wrote, if you go to heaven, take a book. Find something to do. Really, heaven is a very clear place. And it was really an encouraging thing. And the whole idea is that when God created the world, from the first creation to the creation of the new heaven and earth, that God had a plan in mind. When man said, oh, what are we going to do now? He didn't say that. I have a plan. And my plan is to restore this earth to what I intended it to be. And he's going to do that in the next stage. The age after this one. He's going to clean up this world in some way. And you read the book of Revelation. And if you read it literally, he's going to move every mountain. He's going to move every island. And so that when you get in the next age, which is 1,000 years, life will be restored with a king ruling the world over nations. There will be commerce. There will be social action. There will be feasts. There will be food. There will be animals. There will be life. There will be art. There will be all kinds of godly, righteous actions for a thousand years. Still be sinners. But for once, God will show the world what it could have been. And God will show the world what a true king is. We have to admit, don't we, that man cannot rule himself. Apart from Jesus Christ, the son of man, he'll rule. And he will rule with an iron, iron fist. And in fact, iron rod. And in fact, when kings have problems, how to solve things, they have somewhere to go. They go to Jerusalem where the king of kings is literally sitting on a throne and ruling. Everybody in the earth will see Jesus Christ. Yet they still reject him. This thousand years is only one step to the new heaven and new earth. Which again will be life. We will be in our resurrected bodies. People will come to the new Jerusalem. People will come to this renovated earth. This earth goes on, folks, forever.
Can you, can you believe the scary things we're hearing? We got to find another planet to live on because this is dying. The sun is dying out, spending so much energy every minute of every day. How much energy do you think is flowing out of the sun? We're wearing down. Second law of thermodynamics, everything is getting cooler, wearing out. No, it's not so. You know, God put us on the richest planet in all of the vast universe. It is on this planet we will live and life will go on forever. It's on this planet. We haven't even begun to scratch the surface of what God has in this planet. That's our hope. We have been saved by the glory of God through the death of Jesus Christ, having been called before the foundation of the world, coming to a point where we believe in him and we live how long? Forever. How long is forever? You figured it out? You can't. This is only the beginning, folks. This life which you and I are living now is just beginning. We have a hope, a sure hope that lasts forever. I look forward to the day I'll sit down with Moses. Noah. How is it like, Noah? These are real things. Your memory will not be erased. Your friendships will not be erased. Your relatives will not be erased. You will not wear a name tag in heaven. Hello, my name is. No, none of that. That's the hope we have in him. And as Jesus said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I'll come in again. And there to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So, we will be with Jesus when he's up there, before he sets up his kingdom, and we will be with Jesus when he sets up his kingdom, and we will be in the new heaven and new earth forever with him. And all those who believe in him. That's what we're shouting about. That's the kind of hope you and I have. So you can get down in the mouth about everything that's going down. And you can get all upset about everything that's going on. But you and I have a sure hope in glory. Which needs to be shared with other people. He says... Ultimately, heaven is our home. Take a look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 2. If you're having a hard time defining Revelation, it's the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 21, verse 2 says, And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, from God and made ready as a bride adorned for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold 
The tabernacle of God is among men. His house is among men. And he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. Believe it or not, you rub shoulders in one sense with God. With the Lord Jesus Christ. I've never seen him. And I don't know anybody who has seen him. And I don't believe a four-year-old boy who saw him either. Nobody's seen him. But we will see him face to face. And we will actually verbalize and have conversation with him. That's unbelievable when you think about it now. Take a look at Revelation 21.10. 21.10, which says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. That's what he's preparing. It's where we're going to live and move and have our being. And people on earth will be there too, and we will cohabitate with them as well in our glorified bodies. What a great day that's going to be. I would dare say, I think I'm safe on this, a hundred years will get all of us. Wouldn't you? I'm not going to live to 139. So, I really, I really am not. So the point is, I have a hope. It's not very far from me. And you may say it's a long way away. Let me tell you, in the 60-some years of ministry I've been in, I buried babies, elementary school children, high school kids, college kids, middle-aged persons, and old people. You have no guarantee that you're going to live your three score and ten, or if by strength, four score. We have no guarantee of that. But there is a hope, and if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that hope is real. It's real. Then the next line he says, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. Interesting way to put it. He puts it in past tense. Previously heard. Now the word previously is a little preposition that means beforehand. So what he is saying is, at one time you heard this in essence, you're now hearing something else. But you as a church heard the gospel. So what are you hearing now? Take a look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 to 18. This mentions a strange new teaching of Jewish ritual, angelic worship, asceticism, legalism, and also some Gnosticism thrown in to this church. They, they believe the truth. They've walked in the truth. Suddenly now some strange ideas are popping up. In Colossians 2, 16, he says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food, drink, or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These things 
which are mere shadow, a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels. Oh, we're holy because we don't eat pork. We're holy because, as I told the class before this, we're holy because we don't eat catfish. We're all holy because we only eat certain things. No, that's not the issue. That's not what you pride yourself in. That's pride, isn't it? When you are more spiritual because you don't do something that somebody else does not do. I don't do those things. In verse 21 of Colossians 2, look what he talks about. He says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. That's what they're telling you. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. You may not want to do them because you just don't want to do them, but you're not more spiritual because you don't do them. That's the thing. Or look at Colossians chapter 2, 8 to 10. Go back a little bit. See to it. That no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. All right, let no one deceive you. Would you say there's a lot of deception in the world today? One of the really dangerous places to send your children is a university or a college. Really dangerous. And I'd say to you, you need, if you send your kid to a college, your child to a college, then what you need first of all and primarily is to find a godly Bible teaching church which they can go to and get involved in that church. Where do you think all these nonsense is coming from? I grew up in uh, the 50s. I went to high school in the 50s. Then the 60s came and we had all kinds of riots. Remember them, some of you? And they were anti-American, and a lot of them were anti-American. Guess who's now teaching in our colleges? Guess who? Now we face another threat, people. We threat face the Internet and the social things. What, in, pray tell, are your children watching on the Internet? I mean, we, we have, you know, have a government now that's very concerned about TikTok because of the Chinese influence. They can't change us, but they can get to our kids. What are you they listening to? And how much are you as a parent concerned about this? They're out of my ear. As long as they do this, I'm, I'm happy. What? What? 
People wonder going Bible teaching churches and then their children go astray and it's the church's fault. Didn't have a good youth group, had a bad Sunday school, had a bad preacher, had all that. Where is our heads, parents? I mean, we didn't face the phone. When, I moved, when we moved from California in 1948, we moved north of Bradshaw. We didn't even have a phone. Finally, we got a phone. It hung on the wall, and you cranked. You see them in Minden at the thing. Stewart, you see them. And you put your ear to the phone, and you talked in this phone thing. Our number was four shorts. Ding, 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 ding. That was our number. And when we'd answer the phone, so did everybody else on the line. <laughs> and I even heard people say, please get off the line. You're taking too much juice. I can't hear who, to whom I'm speaking. But now it's much more complex, is it not? It is more complex than ever that you get your children under the teaching of the word and in a godly youth group where they can grow and hear the word of God for a couple hours a week, whereas during the week they are bombarded with all of this deception. In one way, I'm glad I'm older. But in another way, I can really see the dangers of it. See that no one takes you captive. It, wasn't, it was interesting then, and it is interesting now as well. That's the plug-in for Bible school, too. So when they originally heard the word of the gospel, it was salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. <clears throat> That's how they were saved. And after they were saved, then all this stuff came in. It's a trick of the devil, isn't it? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Memorize it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. That's how they were saved. Now look at their testimony in verse 6. He's thankful for that as well. The gospel which has come to you just as in all the world, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. Now the church of Colossae was an outgrowth probably of the ministry of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Laodicea, Colossae, and Hierapolis were all in the same Lycus Valley. And the gospel took, came from this church in Ephesus and it spread throughout the rest of the church. So what we have here is a, the, the word has come to you. Paul ministry, converts were made, the converts spread out, the converts spread out to your town, to your area. How many in your town how many in your area are hearing the gospel and hearing the truth of the word of God that comes from Countryside Bible Church? 
You know, we don't, we, we're out here in the country. We represent a lot of towns. I like it that way. When they founded this church and decided to move it here, I'm not sure they knew all what was going to happen here, but really what's happening here is that we don't owe allegiance to any town per se. So we can scatter out through all the towns in this area, from Hastings to Beaver Crossing, Stromsburg to Sutton. We have all this area. And the people from our church are ministering the word of God in all this area and causing people to wake up. That's what God intended when he established this church. And that's what happened. Turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. Here's the commission of the church. The commission of the church, these are the last words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven. Jesus came and spoke to them, that's his disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He's the Lord. He's in charge of everything. He is going to be the king of the earth. He's the head of the church. And he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And here's your assignment. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What is our goal? Our goal is to make disciples. To share our faith with a goal that they come to know Jesus Christ. That's our, that's our mission. And then when that happens, we are to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Furthermore, verse 20, we are to teach them to observe all that I commanded you. Everything in the Word of God needs to be taught to the church. From Genesis to Revelation, as Paul told the Ephesians, I did not, I did not hinder or stop to declare to you the whole counsel of God. You know what I believe as a, a, a minister, not, I'm no big shot, but what I believe as a minister is that you cannot ignore any part of the word of God, even if it's a lesser part. Teach all you know. Everything I know I share with you. I don't have this little reserve over here that I can kind of hold it over you. I, what I know, I tell. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Go into all the world, teaching them to deserve all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. You're never alone. Never alone. He's with us to the end of the age. Now you can see that happening at Colossae. The gospel came to them through human servants. Paul was never there. And they were obedient to Christ in carrying out Christ's commission to the church. They came and they talked about the Lord. And they talked about his salvation. And people in Colossae and Laodicea heard the truth and established a church there. We can't all be running to Ephesus. We need a gospel witness in Colossae. So they started a gospel witness there. I'm not opposed. 
by any means that this church should just stop here. We got towns around us in the state of Nebraska and Kansas and South Dakota that are, have a thousand or more people in them and they have no gospel witness. They don't have anybody in that town that is preaching the word of God. I remember being in Hutchinson, which was kind of a commercial center of the area, town of 45 to 50,000 people in it. And people came from all over in western Kansas to shop there. And it became kind of a commercial center for western Kansas. But there were many cities that I could name off here in Kansas as well as in Nebraska. There's no gospel witness there. There's no Bible school there. There's no Sunday morning service there where they're actually hearing the word of God. And even the town I'm living in, the churches are dying that are there. They're shocked when they drive by here. What are we doing about it? And here's what they were doing. They were constantly bearing fruit. This was twofold. They were bearing fruit in the sense they were bearing fruit and growing. Now, when you hear the gospel, there are results. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. Here's what Paul found in Thessalonica. And here's what he writes. For the word of the Lord has sounded from you that's the Thessalonians. Not only in Macedonia, be like the state, the area, and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. I watched uh, Aaron's graduation last Sunday afternoon. I suppose some of you did too. And we're thankful, Aaron that you finally made it. We're more than thankful. We're really grateful and thank you that you're part of our body. But guess what? In that graduation, I heard Hampton, Nebraska. Do you think, how many people do you think in Jupiter, Florida, at the graduate, graduation of the seniors of the Expositor Seminary, Heard of Hampton. Well, more than you think. The word has gone out that we have a preacher of the gospel in Hampton, Nebraska. Aaron Smith. So, the world in the Christian world isn't that large, actually. We've had Michael Locke speak here years ago. We're represented in Hampton, Nebraska. We're represented in Kansas City as well. How many people know about us in Albion, Nebraska? How many people know about us in Clay Center? Our testimony and our faith and our exuberance generated by the Spirit of God, a true love for Him, spread the word. Tell your relatives. 
Tell your friends. Tell the people you work with. Don't be ashamed you go to a Bible church, for heaven's sake. Don't be ashamed that you belong to Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed that he saved you from your sin. Don't be ashamed the Holy Spirit lives within you. Don't be ashamed that you have a hope laid up for heaven. They need to know about this. And that's what the Colossian church did. And so did the Thessalonians. Here's what he says again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. For they themselves, that is the people of Macedonia and Achaia, they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. That wrath to come, by the way, is a tribulation. It's a premillennial pre-trib passage. What about it? This whole world is heading for a tribulation. This whole world is, just read, all you have to do is read Jan, Daniel 4, or Daniel 2, Daniel 7. All you have to do is read the book of Revelation, chapters 4 through 19. Guess what's coming? Guess what's coming, folks? We need to tell people. Jeremiah and Ezekiel lived in pretty perilous times. These prophets said to the people, Surrender to Babylon. You're going to be taken over. I'll tell you what, the loyal Israeli, that's the last thing he wanted to hear. They put, remember, they put Jeremiah in stocks. He's a liar. He's telling you, he's not telling you, he's not encouraging you, he's encouraging you to surrender. Folks, there's, we, we've got a message to tell, and we're in the final days to tell it. Believe it or not, we're in the final days. He said, we can be saved from that wrath to come that's coming upon the nations of the world. With something to shout about. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 2. The bearing of fruit is the result of salvation because there's a drastic change in salvation itself. If you say you're saved and you're just nothing going on, you're probably not saved. If there's no change, you're probably not saved. Look what you're saved from, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 2. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. As far as God is concerned, as far as the truth is concerned, you're dead. You know what's characteristic about dead people? They don't move. They have no response. My wife says I should quit telling the story, but it really impressed me. First funeral I had in Iowa, hot and humid. And we had a little tiny church of maybe seated 80 people. And they had a little vestibule, and when somebody died, they put the coffin in there, and people came in the church, and they walked past the coffin. And it had a, had a uh, net over it. 
But a fly got underneath it. And part of the preacher's job was to stand by the coffin like this. So I stood there like that. And a fly walked on the face of the deceased. And I looked over there and I was expecting a... Nothing. Why? They're dead. They're dead. I'd explain to a 10-year-old kid what death was. Your mother's not coming back. Period. It's not easy. But that's the way the unbeliever is to God. He's dead to the truth. He cannot respond. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. Furthermore, that's not the whole story. You formerly walked according to the course of this world. You were part of the world. You're born in the world. You lived in the world. Everything around you was the world. And then Paul continues and he says, who controls the world? You walked in the course of this world according to the power of the air. You obeyed the world. In your sin and trespasses, you obeyed the world. It was your home ground. You felt comfortable to some extent in that world. Who ran it? The prince and power of the air. Of the spirit that's now working in the sons of A. You were a slave to your sin and you were under the control of Satan. That is true of all of us whether we're born in a Christian family or not. And by grace we were saved out of that. That's a change. That's a big change to them because the most popular god in the Roman Empire at that time, the popular one, was Jupiter. But the popular one in the Lycus Valley was in Ephesus where they had a great temple to Diana, Artemis. They changed from worshiping that god to Jesus Christ. So there was a change, and it, show, it was showing up in their bearing fruit and their growing. To be continued next week. Are you growing and you're bearing fruit? Can your neighbors tell there's something different about you than the world? And that difference isn't cranked up by some legalistic method, but it's a believer in your attitude, your whole spirit, the fact that you let them know that you belong to Jesus Christ. Do they know that? I challenge you this morning to follow the work of what was going on in Colossae. Let's stand for prayer. We'll have one of our elders, Nate, will be up here. And if you have any questions or want some prayer, or if you just want some encouragement, Nate will be here to encourage you from the Word of God. Heavenly Father, 
What a hope we have. What joy should be manifested from us. Father, help us to live for him, for you. Help us, Lord, to share our faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to encourage one another in this body to be all that this body can be. And may this little assembly be powerful testimony in the areas in which we live and move and even in the earth. From Brazil to Israel, may our message be heard through the people that represent us. And pray, Lord, for each and every one, a person that is here without Christ, faking it in many ways. May they repent of their sin, come clean, and place their faith and trust in Jesus who died for them, who was buried and rose again, and who is coming again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.